Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 100th episode. With reflection and gratitude being guiding values here at the Boardroom Banter podcast, we decided to bring back one of our first and most impactful guests, Dr. Mzamo Masito, the Chief Marketing Officer for Google Africa. In this special episode, we explore the unique power of our minds and our ability to turn our situations, no matter how complex and varied, into success. Dr. Mzamo guides us along his personal journey of transcending the limiting beliefs he had about wealth, time, freedom, and accomplishment. We also deconstruct the opportunities presently available to African youth and our role in designing a future we can be proud of. We could not imagine a better way to cross into our 100th episode milestone. As you're listening to this episode, whether at the gym or having a meal, commuting, driving street to street trying to beat the crazy traffic, or just seated at home, we hope this episode gives you the courage to transcend limiting beliefs. All right, let's hop in. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whoever you are. Welcome to the Boardroom Banter podcast. Today, we've got a really special episode. I know every episode we say is special, which is true in their own rights. Each, each and every episode is, but, but um, today we're sitting on our 100th podcast episode. I don't know about you, Boniface, but when, when we started this thing, numbers like 100, numbers like 100,000 streams, those seemed so far-fetched, but you know, right now we are, we are witnessing them happen. And, you know, it's, it's a really incredible time to be alive, Boniface. It's, it's all coming full circle. And yeah, we, we, we thought we'd bring a guest who we had way, way, way back in episode six. Yeah. Yeah. Boniface, he, he, he really changed how we think about, first of all, the caliber of guests we could get. So it was really inspiring because we're like, damn you really mean if if we just shoot a text and you know shoot our shot things can align so um yeah with with that energy we've been running the podcast and super grateful for all of you listeners who have been tuning in Boniface tell us a bit about who we have in the boardroom today yeah most definitely so I think in the last episode that we we uploaded with our last one was Friday episode we explained how the whole concept of the podcast came up right um, Yuri had reached out to our guest here today for for some one-on-one mentorship and you know our guest really pushed Yuri to think bigger than that of not just the value that he can get as as Yuri Correct, but what value can the guest offer more people than just Yuri right and that's 
that's an amazing aspect, rather perspective to look at life where you want to maximize your impact to as many people as possible and amplify that impact. And that has really been the energy that we've carried across over the past one year, five months. So the gentleman here today is the first person who really pushed Yuri and ourselves to think bigger about amplifying impact and democratizing those opportunities for impact. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to welcome to the conversation, Dr. Mzamo Masito, the Chief Marketing Officer at Google Africa. Mzamo, how are you feeling today? Thank you, I'm feeling very well. I woke up, therefore that grace and mercy, all else is a blessing. I love it. It's, it's amazing to see you again. And now you're going by doctor. So in between the time, between we last spoke, you've, you, you've pursued your doctorate. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. You know, um, you, you did strike us as an individual who embodies continuous learning. So I think this is a testament to that. Tell us a bit more about your PhD. What, what were you studying? Why were you studying? You know, it could be argued you don't need to <laughs> learn anything more. Uh, tell us a bit more about what, what that was all about. I had always, I was raised to believe that whatever family you are born in, your job is to break cycles and set new standards so of excellence. So in my case, I don't have someone in my family lineage that I know who had a doctorate or PhD. So I wanted to break that cycle and just start a new pattern of excellence. So that's the first part. The second, and also within my family, I wanted my kids and my siblings or nephews to know it's possible, but it's easier when it's someone you can see, touch, feel. It's much easier to believe stuff once you've seen it in real time. So that's the first part. The second one is, Every book I read, or most all books I'm reading on behavioral science, on marketing, on psychology, always have a Western lens to them. And there's no voices, there's not enough voices, African voices to diversify opinions. So I wanted to make sure that there's enough African voices in knowledge contribution or knowledge creation or knowledge sharing so that it's not predominantly occupied by Europe or US and that there should be a diverse pool of knowledge uh, creators or knowledge um, sharers or contributors, whether it be Asia or Latin M or, or Middle East or Africa, there should be rather than only we being fed content from the US or some parts of Western Europe. So that was the second reason. Then the third reason, it was more for me that I like to, I know that my ignorance is infinite. So because my ignorance is infinite, I know that the higher the levels of ignorance, the higher the prejudice. So all I'm here on this earth partly to do is to reduce my ignorance. And one way to reduce my ignorance is just through continuous learning, continuous education, and hopefully 
the more I learn, the more I educate myself, the less ignorance, ignorant I am. Therefore, the less ignorant I am, maybe the less prejudice I hold about a lot of things on this earth and the more empathy I have. So I genuinely believe that people should continuously learn until you die. And if it doesn't have to be a certificate per se, but you should really learn, you should read, you should listen to podcasts, you should watch YouTube content videos, you should just blogs, whatever. But to stop learning is just, your brain dies. You just become dumb and ignorant and prejudice, high levels of prejudice. So those will be three reasons. So I decided to do a PhD in behavioral science, business and behavioral science with the University of Cape Town and focusing on, I've been looking for a topic that could be used by practitioners, not just theoretical academic topic, but something that could be applied by practitioners. So I came across data that shows that bulk of South African adverts are in English majority in a country where less than 8% speak English as first language at home. And I wanted to understand why is it so? And what would have happened if those ads were in mother tongue? South Africa has 11 official languages and English is not the dominant language. Actually, Zulu, Tosa, Afrikaans, Sutu are dominant languages, bigger than English. But when it comes to content creation, they are not dominant languages. And there's more English than there is, which I see in the rest of the continent. When I go to French West Africa, there's lots of French, but Lingale, other languages are not dominant. If I go to East Africa, Swahili is supposed to be a dominant language, but I, it's predominantly English. That's the dominant language. So I wanted to understand if content is in mother tongue, how effective will it be? Would it be even more effective? Same content in English, you just dub it in mother tongue. Would it have the same or even greater impact? Whether it be ease of understanding, liking, enjoyment, intention to purchase, uh, sales impact, all of that. And so that's what really I was trying to do. Like, and also studying, looking at your brain, neurosciences in, what happens in your brain when you are listening to a piece of content in, in your second or third language versus when you listen to it in your mother tongue? What parts of your brains are activated so that we can see how effective is mother tongue? Is it really effective? Is it not effective? Fortunately, the results prove that actually mother tongue works, vernacular works, and we, we as Africans, we also need to start investing more in flooding online content with mother tongue. So we should also use um, platforms that exist, like for example, where you can do um, Google Translate, for example, you can translate this English podcast to Swahili, translate it. So you also have versions of this podcast that are not just English, but that's also Swahili or any of the other dominant majority spoken African languages, even Arabic, for that matter. So that's what now I'm kind of I've learned is that us as Africans, we have a job to do to make sure that we democratize internet languages beyond English 
and add Swahili, Zulu, all of that, because it actually is good for learning. And kids who learn in mother tongue do better, actually, than kids who learn in second or third language. So that's why you see Chinese teach their kids in Mandarin or Chinese and other people who go to Germany, Netherlands, the first early childhood foundation, it's in mother tongue. And then when they get to high school or varsity, they will learn English. But we like as Africans to think that English or French or Portuguese is a measure of intelligence, which it's not. There are many things in this life that have been invented without people who speak Portuguese or French or English. It's about time us as Africans, we also show more pride in our own mother tongue and also understand that they also have a place, they also have value, not just English. So that's really what I was trying to do, is do a PhD that ends up also kind of becoming a tool for evangelism for mother tongue. Well, Mzamo, I think I'm really enjoying this conversation right now because I can read a lot of intentionality from the decision that you made with your with your PhD, right? You brought us home to a reason of the first one breaking different cycles in our families. That's definitely something that all, all of us on this podcast can relate to. Um, and some of the recent conversations that we've been having, you know, what you brought up about different African voices being included in the decision-making processes, that having that diverse pool of opinions and that representation. I think when when we look at you know, the milestones that we're hitting with the podcast, the different milestones that you're hitting and these different seasons that we're evolving out of and evolving into, right? When we bring up the aspect of the academic, the academic view of these of these transition seasons, right? Well, um, Yuri, rather Sean just graduated in February, you and I are finishing at the end of the year. When we were making decisions on, on our dissertation, right, which is one thing that we'll be working on over the next couple of months, we wanted it to have a personal, wanted to develop a personal relationship with our work, right? And bring and tying it into the world that we see outside our windows every single day, right? I'm back in Nairobi, Yuri will be back um, next month. And these are these are places and communities that we've we've been cultured by and we've we've grown through and as we as we move through different seasons we i think i usually ask myself how are these decisions that i'm making over the transition periods going to affect not just myself but my family um the people who my work is impacting um the people who i, I trust are my mentors my parents i'm very curious to understand the questions that you ask yourself as you're transitioning through the different seasons in life. If you look at the season that you're in now, having gotten your, your doctorate, you're still very much passionate about your work and engaging your work on a weekly basis. How would you define the season of life that you're in right now? And what are some of the questions that you ask yourself to build that awareness and clarity on that question? I think the biggest thing I learned from some of my elders, especially village elders is, the, high, the idea that you cannot eat an elephant or a cow in one sitting. So what should happen is you should have a North Star that you're chasing. You should have a lighthouse that you're chasing. And then you need to make peace with the fact that there is no way you're gonna 
be able to do that in one year or in some, and you should have a North Star that is bigger than you, that is so bigger than you that it's highly unlikely that you will attain it, but you should die trying. So in my case, I've kind of always thought what I want to do is democratize opportunity and increase transcendence for everyone. But in order for me to do that, I also have to democratize opportunity for myself first. There's no way you can lift others up if you can't lift yourself up. So you can't give from an empty cup. So you have to first learn to lift yourself up so that you have enough in your cup that when it's overflowing, you can also pour in other people's cups. And that way you're lifting others up as well. So for me, I kind of put it in my life as in chase the North Star, but then because you can't eat an elephant in one sitting, then break it down into small manageable chunks and then chase them in small bits that over time add up to something big. So in my case, I always kind of thought I'll break it down into chunks. And then I know that one day I am gonna do the PhD and I'm gonna finish it. And I wanted to add to knowledge, to contribute to knowledge, contribute to practice, but it must be aligned to the things I'm passionate about. I know, for example, Steve Vigo had a North Star, which was black consciousness. Now that North Star is way bigger than Steve Vigo. And he died, actually he was murdered, but that North Star hasn't, has outlived him. I, I believe in black consciousness and I believe in Pan-Africanism, which the people who believed in it also have gone, are gone. They were murdered, assassinated, but the idea is so big that you must have an idea that is way bigger than you. That to a point that even you deep down, you know that chasing it is exciting, but you might not even get there, but it's in heaven worth chasing. So that's all I do. Like it's just chase these with the North Star, which is my North Star is really linked to the fact that if I could figure out a way to democratize opportunity, increase transcendent for every African, that's a worthy North Star to chase. If I could figure out a way to bring my values to life, which I only have three values that matter most to me, which is freedom, Ubuntu, and respect. If I could figure out a way to bring those values to life, figure out a way to bring that purpose and why to life. And the PhD is just one way of doing that. The other ways is run an NGO, um, teach, or make time for a podcast, do all those things. But as long as you know what your North Star is, and you just keep chasing and adding and doing things that get you closer to that North Star, you might not get there, but at least die trying. One of the one of the conflicts that, that tends to arise from us chasing our North Stars is oftentimes, you know, we can get tunnel vision and only focus on, you know, achievement, earning, accomplishments, uh, titles, all, all, all these different, um, you know, arbitrary things that we would say constitute us being on the right path towards achievement. And oftentimes, you know, we, on, on Twitter or on, you know, different people's musings, we hear this thing of, oh, um, I was talking to this 
90 year old and ask them of their regrets in life. And, you know, a lot of times people's regrets have to do with people. So it's more like I spend so much time working on my career and making money and doing all these things. But, you know, I really didn't take time to invest in gratitude or just have an awareness of, you know, helping people around me, or maybe I neglected my family and I should have been there more for my kids. How do you view that balance? Because, you know, you've said, yes, it's good to have that North Star, but where where does the rest of our humanity play into that? You know, our our social side, our, you know, need our desire to have lineage and bring up the next generation how would you how, how do you think about that striking that type of balance and 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 being grat and having gratitude because one of the things you started off with when we asked you how you're doing you said you know you've woken up and for you that's 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 a plus anything else is a bonus on top of your day right that that's gratitude how how do you think we can exercise a bit more of that i think we we also need to make peace with the fact that you do need focus to achieve some of your North Star. What that then means is you do need to make peace that there will be trade-offs that you're going to have to make. You can't achieve, you, you can be anything you want, but you can't be all of it at the same time. You only have 24 hours a day. So what that means then is you have to make peace that focus is the only way that's going to get you to your North Star. Focus also means dropping friends, ending relationships, uh, stopping talking to some people because they're not going to help you get to your North Star. It's the same as in me. I had to make peace with the fact that there is no way I'm going to be the greatest father of the year when I also have other things I'm trying to chase. So some things about my life I just want to be good enough. I don't want to be great. I don't want to, I just want to be good enough. I want to be a good enough parent, good enough father, but I don't think I would ever be a great father because I have other things I want to do. I want to do the PhD. I'm working. So it's hard to juggle 20,000 glass balls. You can only juggle so few glass balls. So that then means is you're going to have to make peace with the fact that there will be trade-offs along the way. For example, when you're younger, you have to really work harder and make sacrifices. You can't, you can't want to be having a soft life, but at the same time, you also want to create. It just doesn't work. Something has to give. You want to have to. You can't want to, um, same thing like, if you're going to start a family very young, something else has to give. If you're going to have kids young, something else has to give. Unfortunately, you are living in a life where it's pluses and minuses, and you're going to have to make trade-offs. That's just, it is what it is. So you're going to have to make peace with that. Then the second part for me is, there is no way, I don't believe you can transcend an identity you did not create. So for you to be able to transcend that I am no longer chasing money. You first need to make money. How can you transcend something you don't have? So I don't understand this thing. People say, you're not a monk. 
where you just go in in, in a Buddhist monastery or a Hindu monk, and then you transcend material things. I don't think you can transcend things that you do not have. People who transcend things, transcend things that they have. Like uh, people who have been in money for long. Now, all of a sudden you hear them talk about minimalism, uh, less is more. They can say that because they've had money for a very long time. So now they're tired of, of buying, buying material things. They don't need them anymore. They've transcended those things. But I don't think, I think it's very hard to transcend things you haven't yet um, established. Create, same with identity. I think it's very hard to transcend an identity you haven't uh, formulated, delivered, as have seen it. And now you say, I no longer want that. I'm transcending it to something else. But you first have to have it for you to transcend it. So I, I just think it's flawed to think that you will jump stages and just go to spiritual transcendence without having met your basic Maslow needs, without having know how it feels like to drive a Ferrari or how it feels like to, to have a fancy mansion or car or, or be a CEO or all of those things. I just feel like I haven't, I think there's probably less than 1% of human beings who can do that transcendence without having tasted money, without having drank the alcohol, without having done the stupid things that most of us do. And then you transcend, but you need to be stupid first. And then you transcend your stupidity because you now know how it feels like to be stupid. But you just you transcend, yeah, to be hard. What are you transcending into or out of right now? In my case, mm. what I'm transcending out of is I grew up in scarcity. I grew up in places like Kibera, uh, places like um, if Mukoko village in Nigeria. I grew up in slums and I grew up with nothing. So I grew up as a product who have scarcity mindset. And now I don't have scarcity, but I need to transcend the feeling of scarcity, the feeling of poverty. I need to transcend that. But I'm now able to transcend because I'm not poor anymore. So I can transcend it. But I now know though how it feels like to be poor. I know poverty very well. I know living in shanty towns, living in formal settlements. I know how it feels like to be disrespected by people who have a lot. And, they, and I know how it feels like to be invisible to people who have lots and I have nothing. So I know those feelings, but now I'm at a place where I'm like, you know what, you're no longer that person anymore. So you need to transcend that person. And I also need to give my kids a different feeling, not the same struggles as mine. They must have new struggles, which are mostly wrapped up in privilege, privileges I didn't have. So I can transcend that. The other thing I need to transcend is that I've always wanted to transcend, like uh, Bob Marley says, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery and none but yourselves can free your mind. I need to transcend myself from any form of mental slavery that I know to be an African and to be black is not inferior. I'm not inferior to anyone, nor am I superior to anyone. But when I am competing with Chinese or Europeans, I'm not inferior to them. I am actually as competent 
as proud of being who an African and black, and also just mentally decolonize my mind so that when I meet with other people in other countries or continents, I don't shrink, I don't feel inferior. And that is something that it's taken me a long time to transcend because I grew up under apartheid where I was told that I'm inferior. I was told I should be grateful, I'm a heathen, barbaric, uh, inferior. But now, Steve Bigo always used to say that the greatest weapon of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. And I need to free my mind, transcend the chains that I've been put in mentally and transcend them so that I can build a confidence that actually I'm worthy as an African, as an African also, as black and African as I am, I'm, I matter to this world and that I can add value to this world. I can innovate. I can make the world a better place. I can solve for Africa, therefore solve for the world. But that needs mental freedom. That means I need to transcend that. The last thing I need to transcend is I just need to be economically free. Because for me, if you are not economically free, you don't, you don't have enough mental bandwidth to think about stuff, to imagine a future. When you broke, your brain is in the short term. It's just surviving. It's hard to think beyond when you broke. So I need to make sure that I transcend brokenness. And I'm not broke. I'm not mentally broke. I'm not financially broke. Because do you know like the studies that show that when you are in scarcity mode, your IQ drops. And you 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 think about food, water, shelter. You just think about basic stuff. But when you are in abundance and you have economic freedom or financial freedom, your mind also is freed up to dream, to think about other stuff, to transcend. It's hard to create a Silicon Valley in an empty stomach. The reason those people are creating Silicon Valley is because they come up, they come mainly from either middle, upper class families. They went to the best schools. They had a computer at age four or five. I mean, I look at the founders of Google, Sergey, great visionaries. He talks about early on, his father was a is a is a professor of computer science. And he was introduced to computers as a young age. So he was not thinking about hunger. He was thinking about a code, how to code, how to do things. By the time he gets to varsity, he can code. He's been coding since teenage. Same with Mark Zuckerberg. Same when you look at Warren Buffett, he started trading stocks as a teenager. That stuff you can't do if you're hungry and broke and you're busy trying to get out of informal settlement, Mokoko village, you're trying to get out of Kibera, you're trying to get out of a township in Nyanga East in Cape Town or Gugule Kailicha in Cape, that's hard. And I don't think as Africans, we realize that scarcity robs us of more mental bandwidth and more mental freedom, more mental choices. So those are some of the things I need to continuously transcend. And I want my brothers and sisters in this continent to also transcend so that we can start thinking big ideas. I love what you're bringing our attention to, Mzamo, and it's the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a mindset thing, right? You really need to 
to be able to know how to learn and learn, relearn, understand mm-hmm. your mind, right? And I can definitely see how that ties into um your your PhD on on behavioral science. Um, you're the third guest that we're having who's bringing up the concept of trade offs, right? Where where mm-hmm. something has to give when it comes to the decisions that the decisions that you're making in life and what you're investing your time in. The first guest was a lady called Lynette. She's a student at Columbia University and she runs an international um, accessories brand where she gets them from different artisans in Kenya and then ships them to New York where she now sells them on her on her e-commerce platform. And with her, when it came to the trade-offs, it's okay, some weeks I have more academic um yep. commitments than others and so my business might struggle a little bit in another week i have a shipment coming in the logistics um for getting the things from kenya to new york are killing me i might not mm-hmm. show up 100 percent for for class and so on and so forth and i think one of the challenges that we we noticed with these specific conversations is it can sometimes feel like a failure when you've had to do that minus x and then put more in y type of thing the plus and minuses that you brought up i'd be curious to understand your relationship with failure in terms of as a mindset that you cultivate as a relationship that you build ensuring that your relationship with failure is healthy enough that you can discern what needs more attention at this specific time and the one that doesn't that i can't give attention to doesn't mean that i haven't failed but it's just one of those days or it's just one of those weeks when, like you mentioned, you, you'll need to be a father more this week mm-hmm. and some commitments might need to take a backseat. How have you built your relationship with failure and what, to what extent have the communities and environments that you've been around shaped mm-hmm. that relationship? So, you know, my name is Mzamo. So my mom taught me early, actually, that I shouldn't build a relationship with failure or success. I should actually build a relationship with effort. So for me, it's did you try? My name is actually says life is to try. Life is effort. Life is effortful. So the key thing then is I don't have an obsession with failure or success. I have an obsession with effort. I have an obsession, did I try harder to be a good enough father? If I can answer that, I will sleep well at night. The fact, the thing is, even being a parent, one day when all of you are parents, if you become parents, you will realize that the outcomes of parenting are not always in your control. You have parents who've done everything they could and their kids decide to become losers or they decide to become drug addicts. Can you blame the parent? It's not always the parent As a parent, your job is effort, effort, try to be the best available, present parent you can be. But the outcomes are not always in your control. Same at work. When I joined Google, the thing that I promised myself was I'm going to do everything in my power to be present, to give it my best. But am I guaranteed failure or success? No. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But what I should sleep well at night on, though, is, Mzamo, did you try? Did you give it your best? Did you throw yourself at it? Whether it be parenting, 
whether it be working at Google, whether it be running an NGO, whether it be training for a marathon or doing the PhD. For me, effort should be more praised, more than we are so obsessed with the outcome of failure and success that we never put a lot of time and energy on effort. We never, most people don't know. For example, I was looking at um, Beyonce Jay-Z on Grammy Awards. She has been nominated over 85 times, 80 plus times, but she's only won the 30 or 23 or 25 Grammys. But no one remembers the 60 times she's lost. Same thing, if you watch basketball, Steph, Steph Curry is an amazing three-point point shoot, but his accuracy rate is like 40, 50%. But no one remembers the 50% he failed to shoot. So we're so obsessed with the failure, but, but people don't remember your failures, actually. The failures are more for you. They sharpen you. They keep you learning. They humble you. I mean, I was watching Holland, Man City versus um, uh, Bayern Munich and he missed the penalty. It's good that he missed that penalty because it will humble him. Because so far, he scored seven out of seven penalties. If he doesn't miss something, he might become arrogant, overconfident. And what failure does, it humbles you. It teaches you that you are only human. You're only mortal. So you need failure anyway in your life because you learn more from your failures than you learn from your successes. All your successes do is just give you more confidence. But your failures humble you. Your lows will humble you, will help you learn more, will give you more wisdom. There's a thing that says, I don't know now who said it, that the things that hurt you instruct you. The things that hurt you more instruct you even more. So I would say that for me, we should not necessarily obsess with failure or success because you are not... 100% in control of your failure or success, but you are 100% in charge of your effort. That you can't lie. You know when you've been lazy. You know when you've given it your all. You only you know. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you know when you cheated. You know when you did a shortcut. You know that part is on you. But the outcome, it's hard for me. I always say to people, I, I find it hard when people say, I did it all by myself. I did it all my own. I, I always think that's arrogant because the outcome has too many variables, luck, timing. Someone gave you some coaching advice. Uh, you were just at the right place at the right time. Yes, you did apply hard work, but there are many other variables that you are not in control of. God, invisible hand, your ancestors, your angels. There's just too many things that are there. That So I just think the only thing you should be really obsessing about is effort. And once you put effort and trying, the outcome will be what it will be. If you succeed, cool. If you fail, that's also cool. You learn from it, brush yourself up and just fail fast and fail forward and just move quickly. And don't drown in your failure. Just learn from it. And by the way, when we interview people, it's concerning if you cannot comfortably share your failures. Okay. It's concerning because it means you're not growing. 
But if, if we ask you, tell us about a time where you failed and you can quickly say, oh, here's when I failed dismally. Then the most important thing, add, it, add what did you learn from it? And, and what did you do with that failure? That's the most important part. I love that. We, we often obsess with outcome, meaning our efforts sometimes can be hindered by yes. those limiting beliefs about, oh gosh, this thing looks hard. Um, or, or rather, the, the general outcome of this task I'm doing is failure. Therefore, my effort doesn't really matter or maybe I shouldn't put in too much effort. Um, I really like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to really sit with myself and, and, and think deeply about that relationship I have. Because sometimes these are things that we just, we just have to transcend. We, we need to identify, number one, just, just as you've brought to light for all of us here listening. And just taking the steps to be like, hey, you know what? This is actually a limiting belief. I, I need to transcend this. Let me, let me put in the work. Awesome. I mean, by the way, so, do you know that the yeah. thing, yo, the, I read something on growth mindset that the way parents approach failure with their kids will determine how their kids, their kids' attitude towards failure and towards your kids developing a growth mindset. If parents punish failure, then what will happen is that kids will only want to do the things they know for sure they will win. And they will not want to do the things that the chances of failure are high. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, your obsession won't be failure or success. Your obsession, for example, there's another study that was done where Asian kids were given a maths problem versus I think European kids were given the same maths, hard maths problem. The Chinese, Japanese kids said, or I'm not, I haven't solved it because I don't think I put enough effort in solving it. So it means I need to put more effort. The Western kids were like, it's too hard, I quit. And the only difference between those kids was effort. The other ones didn't blame it on hard. They blame it on maybe I need to put more effort. The other one said, no, it's hard, I quit. And then we ask ourselves why Asians are successful. Because they put more effort. They have with it, yeah. I, I like that. And I hope anyone who's listening sits down and just takes tally of their efforts simple it's not about whether you failed or whatever like did you put in what needed to be put in into this thing yeah Dr. Big time. i like i like even einstein he used to say they asked him and he says the difference between him and other people he stays longer with the problem that's mm. all he says the difference between him and other people is that he just stays longer with the problem he just marinates on it longer he 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 wrestles and rumbles with it longer he doesn't quit easily. He's, he just, and that's what, and that's effort. He just puts an effort to bigger problems, difficult problems, and he just wrestles and rumbles with them longer. And he says, that's really what makes him different from other people. It's not that he has higher, even more higher IQ than other. There are others who also have high IQ, but they just quit easily. They don't have grit. Yeah, and that's really the effort we need is just more effort. And then, it. of course, you must know when to quit, by the way. 
there's nothing wrong with quitting, but you must, you can't quit if you haven't asked the question, did I give it my all? Mm. If the answer is yes, then there's nothing wrong with quitting is actually another form of self-preservation. It's wisdom to quit. You should quit yeah. friends. You should quit a relationship if it no longer works for you. You should quit things, but only quit things where you are able to torture your own soul to confess the truth that I did give it my best. I tried. Not everything that you give it your best is going to succeed. I mean, Messi, others have have given it their best, went to the World Cup and he got to the finals and he lost. And then he went again and he won this one in Qatar. Not everything you give it your best, you're going to win a Champions League finals. Sometimes you try. Then City tried to win a Champions League final. They lost. But did the, the only thing that Pep Guardiola can answer is we tried. Yeah. But you are not guaranteed the outcome, though. You're not guaranteed you're going to win the medal. But you are, though, still expected. Your soul expects you to make the effort. Mm. But your soul is not going to guarantee you the outcome of success or failure. But you need to stay longer with problems. And, and I think that that speaks to can you sit down with yourself at the end of the day and be at peace knowing that this outcome was separate from your effort in that yes. you did the best. I think most regrets come from knowing that this outcome that I got, uh, especially if it's a negative one, can be traced back to a lack of effort that, that yes. on my part. Um, but yeah, Mzamo, we're, you know that, we're reaching... You know that, you know that- do you know that as you get older, your regrets mm-hmm. are going to be regrets of inaction. They're not going to be regrets of action. They're going to be regrets of the things you did not do. They're going to be regrets of the things you did not say when you had a chance to have a voice and you shrinked and you became a coward or you got scared. As you get older, you're going to have regrets of inaction more than regrets of action. And then you're going to have regrets where you know deep down you didn't give it your all. Yeah. You know deep down. And only you will know that. You and yourself and your truth, you will know that you didn't give it your all. That's what's going to consume you as you get older. Sure. Man, I... I hope that's not the case for many of us. If we listen to this and really apply, um, it, it does sound like a problem that with, with the right mental engineering, we can focus mm. more on effort. Yeah. Dr. Mzamo, thank you so much for, for your time today. I know we are, we're, we're pushing on the outer bounds, outer limits of, of the time that we had with you. So I'm going to let you, you know, give us a couple of parting shots, right? Mm. Give us, you know, as most of our audience, we are young, we're maybe still in university, maybe we've just started working, young professionals, young entrepreneurs, you know, people people who are dreaming big, thinking big, and, you know, often look up to the guests like yourself that we have in this space to um, just chart their way forward. Is, is there anything uh, else on your heart that, you know? I'm reading, I'm best? currently reading, I'm reading two books, which I 
would recommend to anyone who's really interested in increasing self-awareness. Because for me, I believe that the source of your magic, your superpower is self-awareness. And the more self-aware you are, the higher your superpowers are. And if you don't know yourself, what, it, what then happens is that other people's opinions about you become your facts if you don't know yourself. Whereas if you know yourself, people have opinions. Like one of my coaches used to say, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has an asshole. So everyone is just, everyone has an opinion. So your job, the higher your self-awareness, then you start to have the power that if you give me feedback, it's still an opinion. The only person who has the power to move opinion to facts is you. But you can't do that if you're not self-aware. If someone says to you, you are ugly. If you are not self-aware, you're going to go crying. That person said, I'm ugly. But now you've turned their opinion into your fact. Now it becomes your fact. You've given that person power. I'm reading two books. The first one I'm rereading. I read it in my early 20s and I realized that I didn't understand it. It's called The Road Less Traveled. I like this book a lot because it teaches you a lot about um, delayed gratification. Anyone who doesn't learn to delay gratification will find it hard to succeed in life. You need to delay gratification. It teaches you things about commitment to truth. You need to have a commitment to speak truth to yourself and speak truth to power. If you can have commitment to truth, don't lie. And the more you speak truth, the more consistent you become. And when you don't lie, you don't have to remember the shit. When you, people will lie, you have to remember a lot of stuff because you have to remember what you said, what you didn't say. What, whereas if you just committed to truth and reality, you're far more. And that book, I really recommend that people should read a lot of it, actually. That's the, the one book. The second book I'm reading, it's called What Happened to You? I like this book a lot because... Instead of asking people what's wrong with you, I think we should now shift to what happened to you. Because all of us have childhood woundings, childhood traumas. We have a lot of childhood things that have happened that affect us now that we haven't dealt with. And we need to deal with those things because the things that we avoid, they grow and we shrink. If you avoid conflict, conflict multiplies. If you avoid your childhood woundings and traumas, you shrink and they grow. You become a mean adult. You just all those things. So that's the second one. The third one for me will be, I wish at your age, I started early thinking about money and thinking about economic freedom and thinking about saving and investing early. And the more economic freedom you have, the more mental bandwidth you have. So I, I hope that at a younger age, you will think you will have a more positive relationship with money and that you will see money and economic freedom as a great tool for mental freedom and that you can save early, invest early and try your level best to have a healthy relationship with money early. So those will be the three things I say to people, just get in the rhythm of those things. Read the book, Road Less Traveled, what happened to you, and then read books on money. The, the, the book that I like on money was always um, 
the richest man from Babylon and yeah. rich dad, poor dad. Those two books have helped me with money. And then the other one I've read, which I like, it's called Fuck Off Money. That's even on YouTube. You can go and type Fuck Off Money. The author who wrote the book. It's really just helped me a lot understand money, the power that money has, what money gives you spiritually, economically, and all of that. So money, know thyself are the two key things for me that I think we should all strive towards, economic freedom and self-awareness. Wow. Dr. Mzama, this, this has been an amazing, amazing way to celebrate our 100th episode. I think that, wow, we've spoken about money, we've spoken about effort, we've spoken about transcending limiting beliefs. And, you know, I do not doubt that someone who is truly committed to becoming the best version of themselves will, will leave this podcast episode with tools that they can implement ASAP right now and, and, and do what they need to do. So Dr. Mzamo, on behalf of the Boardroom Banter podcast, um, on behalf of myself, Sean Karanja, and my co-host Boniface Omina and Yuri Coretti at the Boardroom, we want to give you a big congratulations, first of all, on your doctorate, but also on staying true to your mission of you know, helping those who are behind you transcend and become their um, best selves. I'd argue that, you know, our parents didn't have the opportunity to sit down on a podcast and mm -hmm. talk to individuals like you thousands of miles away and, and really learn. So we're, we're also grateful for, for the opportunities that we have and, and that you're also extending those to us. So thank you so much, Dr. Mzamo. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we wish you all the best with, with everything you're doing. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this far. If you haven't already, go drop a review. Give us a couple of comments on our different platforms. We love to hear back from you guys. And just to know what you guys are enjoying about our episodes, etc. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. Have yourselves a fantastic week. And uh, yeah. Be true to who you are and put in the effort where it counts. 